Hi, I'm Weird Al Yankovic, and you're listening to the Pantheon Network. Welcome to 2021, inmates. 1991 was one of the strangest and greatest years in modern music history. It's a year that opened with Vanilla Ice, Warrant, and Candyman, each with two hits on the Billboard Hot 100. By the end of the year, we saw huge releases from U2, Van Halen, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, R.E.M., Ozzy Osbourne, and two albums from Guns N' Roses. We also saw debuts from bands like Soundgarden, Pearl Jam, and Nirvana that changed the music scene forever. Buckle up, rock and rollers. We're going to jump into our time machine and take the magical mystery tour back to 1991. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Prisoners of Rock and Roll, Episode 8, our first episode of 2021. We made it to the other side. (laughs) I'm one of your hosts, Bruce Kramer, and I'm here with the best rhythm section in podcast land, Doug McCusker and Ryan McCusker. Hello! Hey, everybody. How you doing? Happy New Year. So we decided we were going to jump in our musical time machine and talk about 1991. That's 30 years ago. Feels like yesterday. Look at all these great albums that came out in 91. This is amazing. I mean, the stuff that the songs and the albums that came out, and there's a lot of good stuff, and there's a lot of garbage that came out, too, that was really, a lot of really popular garbage, too. You know, I was looking through all the songs in 91. It's like looking through your receipts through the years. And you're just like looking through, like, why did I even spend money on that? Why did I listen to that? It was just very confusing time in music. Maybe before we dive in, I have a couple notes on what was going on in the world in 1991. The first Gulf War is going on. The Soviet Union fell apart. Jeffrey Dahmer gets arrested. (laughs) The Super Nintendo came out. And then Kenny Rogers started his fine restaurant. I remember his fine. Kenny Rogers Roaster. Yeah. Man, there was a lot of crazy things going on in 91. Just looking at perspective as a fan, trying to remember what I was listening to before 1991 leading up up to it it was a lot of motley crew and that first guns and roses album we were listening to the black crows yeah we were already, already listened to metallica by then one album i remember that i listened to heavy in 90 was megadeth rust in peace yeah that was yes a big big album for me growing up when, when 1991 came in man you you know you had bart simpson had a hit do the bart man was that 90 that was 1991. Was, oh, Lord. Yeah, that's how bad we were hurting for good tunes. 1991 is a weird year in that the pop music largely stinks. Mm. Yeah. But there's a lot of artists that this is... Artists that are still popular now, that's the year they started. And it's also the beginning of grunge. So I, I'm not even sure where to start. Maybe we just talk about some of the bad pop music and talk we just... Some of the... And we just get it out of the way. We talk, uh, and we, we graduate into all of the cool stuff. Let's, like, yeah, let's do a few things on. We'll trash a few things, and then we'll celebrate a few things. You had a lot of different acts going on out there in 1991, and one of the worst acts I think there was was another bad creation. Oh, I forgot about them. Yeah, there were a bunch of little kids. I don't. Everybody remembers them. And they were protégés of Belvid DeVoe. Were they the guys that wore their pants on backwards? No, that no, was Chris Cross. Oh, okay, okay. They didn't come right. in until like 92. Okay. But he only knows that because he's got the, uh, the concert ticket. <laughs> I, I do. I, I, I keep everything. No, I mean, that's what I, I think of when I, the 91, it's like what was happening back then. And it was like, you know, everybody's wearing the starter caps 
then with the with the tag still in it. Yeah, I'm trying to and remember it, that song though. Like, play it. I can play. Oh, do you have it? Oh, yes. we have, oh you guys oh, are prepared. Here. Oh, unfortunately, I remember this. Dude, it's. But this was what was on the on the radio yeah. and everything. But then that's horrible. They were looking for anything that was kid friendly to put on the radio to get kids on MTV to watch whatever they would do. Capitalism at its best. Yeah, yeah, it's unbelievable. I wrote down a couple notes of some pop songs from '91. Mm-hmm. This is a really bad list, but um, Rush, Rush, Paula Abdul. Uh, Keanu was in that video, wasn't he? Keanu. Was he? Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah, he was. He I was, was wondering rep- whatever happened to that cartoon cat in the other video. Oh, she yeah. She, whenever she, she tours, she, he shows up. Everything I Do, I Do It For You by Brian Adams. That, that's that like, was a big song. I think that was the number one selling that was a big, single of the year. That was a big yeah. song. That song is probably still played in every dentist's yeah, office. That's from the Robin America. Hood movie, yeah. right? That was a big, big movie hate, and song. I hate that song. Yeah, you heard it too many times. I, I like some Brian Adams stuff. Yeah. Time, Love, and Tenderness, Michael Bolton, again. Never just heard the, it. That dude's mullet was everywhere in 91. Rico Suave, Gerardo. That was big. Gerardo. I found somebody called him the crappy 90s version of Pitbull. <laughs> I can see that. I can see and, that. Uh, Amy Grant was huge. Baby, baby. Yeah. Yes, that was big, yeah. Bette Midler from a distance. That actually That was won a big the, song. That won the Grammy, yeah. I think, that year for Song of the Year. UB40 had two hits. Shiny Happy People by R.E.M. Oh, we, we talked did we about kill our, that song? We talked about R.E.M. in our, in our first episode. It just even the, Even a list of like... I pulled together a list of the songs that hit ni- number one in 97, mm-hmm. and, it was, and it's all, you know, Roxette, Wilson Phillips. Roxette was They were huge. cool. Timmy yeah. T, Paula Abdul, Brian Ad, Paula Abdul's on here a couple times. Madonna, Justify My Love, the song that was, yeah. the video that was basically Well, the video was more, more popular right. than the actual song. Right. And Prince wrote that, right? Dude, I don't know about that. Didn't um, Prince write that? I don't know. I don't know I, about After that. seeing the video, that makes perfect yeah, sense Yeah, I think to he me. did. Do you remember the video of that? Yeah. Do you remember who was playing? Do you remember the jukebox? Yeah, like network. That was like the only place you would find it. Yeah, they or they played it on MTV, but it had to be like after like eleven o'clock at night because so many yeah. people complained about it. Now it's just typical TV. Now it's on yeah. YouTube, right? Yeah. yeah. So that yeah, I I don't know what else you got on on pop music. Um, th- you had good vibrations, Marky Mark going on at that time. Marky Mark. Marky Mark. You had um Motown Philly Boys of the Men was going on. That's still a good one. That's, yeah, but you, you know, know it's not rock and roll. Yeah, I hear you. Prince put his worst song out, I think, ever in '91 was "Cream." Yeah, that was that's a new power generation. Right? That was again yeah. another really weird video. Yeah, yeah. He was wearing like the the was chap. Yeah, he was wearing chaps. chaps. Yeah, Vanilla Ice still on the chart. Play that funky music, White Boy. You met, you actually mentioned uh, "Do the Bartman" by Bart Simpson. Yeah, you can play a little bit of that too. Yeah, it's why just, don't you yeah. do that? Because it was on the charts. That's how big the Simpsons were. It's really bad. And this was like just when The Simpsons had just started. Yeah, they started coming out with t-shirts. Right, they were like 89 it came out. Terrorizing people wherever I go. It's not intentional, just keeping the flow. Fixing test scores to get the best scores. Dropping banana peels all over the I was just, after we heard that, I'm glad that the recorder's across the, the table from me because I was going to hit the electric chair. Automatically. <laughs> 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 yeah. Like, instinctively. But that, that video was on MTV all the time. It oh, was like, 
Simpsons yeah. Nation, man. It was like Beatlemania with the Simpsons. Yeah, it was they, all I mean, over. Like Lunchboxes and dolls and, God, and hey, man, don't have a cow yeah. and all that. Eat my shorts. But that's when like like Congress and like Tipper Gore and all those guys were like, yo, no Bart Simpson. This is a bad influential. Yeah. Now it's like the longest running sitcom of all time. Yeah. So as part of us pulling together the playlist to go with every episode, Ryan made one for all the great music in 91. And he made one of, from songs from 91 that stink. And... Yeah, a lot of the stuff we already just talked about, like Amy yeah. Grant and, and I like the, Brian uh, Adams. I and, like the thing that I was talking about today about CNC Music Factory going to make you sweat. They only had like those two songs, but they were huge. They were super huge. Do you remember the two guys behind the CNC Music the, Factory? They were they were two producers. Yeah, they were the band and the Freedom Williams and the Chick. They were like the the model front. But what happened was, I'm going to make you sweat. Came out. And what they did was they used this woman that sang the background vocals and then used a model to pretend that it was her lip syncing. So mm-hmm. she was like Millie Vanilling it. And then Marky Mark found out about it and he like got her to play on the, the record and put her in the video because they were discriminizing against her because she was a bigger person. In in Good Vibrations? Yes. Yeah, it's, it's the, the same, same it's the same yeah. person it's singing. Same, if you play it back to back to each other, it's the same chick. I don't want to do that. Well it is. Yeah. It's the same But chick. that's a that's the video that, that Marky Mark video is I watch it at least thirty five times a day. That's the one he has no shirt on <laughs> and he's yeah. lifting like cinder blocks and yeah. he's all like yeah. shirtless and But going back to the C and C music factory, now was she a known singer, the woman that originally sang that? No, she was just a background singer. Yeah. But like she was a big woman, and they were like, you know what? You're not going to cut it to be on MTV. We're right. gonna we're gonna put this woman that's a yeah beautiful model. And she's marketable. Exactly. Can you imagine that? Not today. Pop music was you still had all that kind of '80s that synthesizer. It's cheesy. It it's like it's weak and soft. And do you think it got soft because you know, like the party was still going on? Like everybody's coming out of the '80s. Like you know you had the Gulf War going on and this and that. But I, I think that people still had that idea that they wanted the party. I think so. I mean, you had songs like Unbelievable by EMF was like, mm-hmm. a, like a party song. Yeah. But then you had that club MTV show that we were talking about. Like, dancing was still a thing. You still had a million, like, the dancing on air shows. That was probably still on. Yeah, I don't know. Pop music in 91 to me is just, it, a lot of it is just, eh. Like, and you hear it, and you're kind of like, it's nostalgic because you're like, oh, I remember that song. Although, th- there is a lot of stuff when I was looking at the Billboard 100 for the end of the year. I had no idea who a lot of those artists were. Like, Yeah, there was a lot of dance music on there that I didn't recognize. Yeah, I listened to a couple of them just to get ready for the show, mm-hmm. and then I just had no interest in going any further. I'm like, I don't need to hear yeah. any of this stuff. Well, what <laughs> was some of the other bad songs on your list there, Bruce? London Beat. There's a song by the KLF. And these are songs like if you heard them, you'd know them. Kathy Dennis had a couple songs. Wilson Phillips. Color Me Bad. Color Me... Oh, yeah. Color Me Bad. We was, can just sit here was, and talk about them for yeah, a couple hours. Yeah. I mean, that song. That oh. song, I Want to Sex You Up. And then they had a I Adore Me Amore. Uh, Kenny G was in that band. <laughs> <laughs> they, they all had like a, like a lookalike. Yeah. It was like George Michael, Kenny G. Yeah, it was... <laughs> you know. they're, they're You're really kind of right. It was just a bad time of music what's going on then you had michael jackson at that time coming out black and white and what a strange concept that was of him the video what he did was so confusing of what is he trying to get get the message through i i had some notes about that song so that year he signed a record contract with sony worth a billion dollars what it was the one of the biggest contracts ever given to a music artist and it covered albums 
featured movies, TV shows, and they gave him his own record label. And the movie part, he was negotiating making a movie with Tim Burton or David Lynch, which is just like... <laughs> the David Lynch thing would be... You could imagine that. Which is like, imagine what that would be. That's a movie that he wants to make. Yeah. And remember when that, that video, Black or White, came out, it was simulcast everywhere yeah. at the yes, same it time. It was like an event. Yes, it was. What a weird video that was. Yeah. When they were all changing person yeah. to person at the end of it. The morphing. It's like, you're black... You're white. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. morphing. And then it was a each, Chinese yeah. guy. Yeah. And then it was a, a, a little black woman. Then it was a tall white guy. And then it had that weird, like, five minute thing at the end where he's yeah. just, like, smashing a car. And that got banned. Himself. That and got he, banned. Yeah. Because then he, like, he turns into, like, a puma or a jaguar yeah. or something. And that video debuted simultaneously in 27 countries to 500 million people. Dude, I just remember him dancing on top of that car and just smashing all the windows and grabbing himself. But I think Pepsi had his back. Like, they were one of his big promoters. And Pepsi didn't like it. And they were like, yeah, you got to take this off of there. You know, this is not like... That was like the extended version. When they were yeah. putting it on MTV, they were cutting that out yeah. by then. Yeah, they cut yeah. the end. Yeah, you're yeah, right. Yeah. But they, can you imagine, like, all over the world, Michael Jackson, like, grabbing his crotch... And, and screaming, oh, around the whole world at the yeah. same time. Do you think he was laughing to himself? Don't get, like, ha, ha, ha. Don't get. All the way to the back. Like, yeah, I know. Um, I think he was trying to be an artist. And just like everything Michael did, he was misunderstood. All right, cool. I, 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 we good with the bad the um, bad part of 91? You got something else? Here. Come on, guys. We have to talk about how bad Shiny Happy People was. Didn't we kill that song? <laughs> no, we can't. The other one, Bad Religion song. Losing my uh, religion. Losing my religion. Well, let's kill this one too. Hit the button. No, not yet. <laughs> I don't even know. That's who. that's a terrible song. That has the um the girl from the B fifty two. Katie something. Yeah. She's the best part of that. Yeah, she song. is the best part of that song. That is I and I I brought this up when we killed the other song. I I like that album. That I think that's like one of the last albums by R. It's probably one of the only albums of REM I like. You I didn't lose your cool card. Dude. I didn't like the ones before it. I don't like a lot of the stuff they did after. Um, they even let the bass player sing. What's the guy's Mike? No, it's not Mike. It's someone. What's his name? Do you remember his name? He's just singing those shining happy. Yeah. It's, it's horrible. Just a it's, song. Uh, the video was horrible. The girl from B fifty two is the best part of the video. Yeah, some of these bad pop songs had good videos though. Man, all the chicks in the videos, like the CNC Music Factory dancers, yeah. and oh, I remember MTV having all those videos. Like, do you guys remember the? the I touched myself. Yes, that, that, that was one of the songs that I had on my list of. Is that good or bad? songs that turn 30. Is it good or bad? I think it's a good song. (laughs) Adolescence at its best. I don't know if I would have got through puberty without that video. She's pretty hot, too. She was hot, man. I don't, don't, you know, she had those bangs over her eyes, man. What was the name of the band? The Vinyls. The Vinyls. So it's even funnier that it was an actual band and not just her. Because you can tell you anything about the rest of the band besides her. I just think big boobs. I had this on cassette single. <laughs> Good for you for not buying the whole thing. She can sing. Oh, God. She was so sexy. We should do a show about how they got their record contract and how they made it to the top of the charts. Yeah, it's it's amazing. It is that amazing. That song was like well, everywhere. Just, well, it just proves like how like the '90s were so visual. You know, MTV was such oh, a yeah. big tool in promoting music. 
are we done with this bad music? Because I want to talk about some good music now. Stuff that changed our lives. Yeah, let's let's move on and talk about some of the good stuff because that was the big surprise to me is when we dove into this was just how much good music came out of 1991. I, I don't even know where to start with this. I know. We just jump in and pick a band. Okay, here's something for you. It's the beginning of grunge and the end of a certain sound of rock music. So let's talk about Queen Innuendo. This, this okay. is Freddie Mercury's last album that he did before he passed away. Yes. They released it, and nine months later, he passed away. I don't feel that Queen really got their potential across to America until a year later when Wayne's World came out. Queen is like, they always had, we will rock you, we are the champions, and this and you know and all that. They were always staple, but they never had that success that they have now, in which everybody knows what they are. So on when you end, though, you have show must go on. Here's a guy saying, you know, the show must go on. He's coming to the end of his life. And it's heartbreaking to listen to. The breakdown, the guy was such a pure artist. You know, don't you think so, Ryan? I think he was dying and he was like writing his memoirs to himself. Um, he looked so bad in those videos. He just was deteriorating. And it must like hurt him so bad to hit those notes, the sacrifice of the pain that he was going through in life and still make this amazing song like the show must go on or who wants to live forever i'm going slightly mad is one of my favorite songs on that album these are the days of our lives yeah it's really it was like him saying goodbye headstrong from that album is one of my favorite queen songs yes that's a great song you're right it's just it's a great album and knowing what he was going through and you can you can read some articles about him how long it would take him to do some of those takes because he was so exhausted mm-hmm. and yeah. I shared a video with you guys today of it was like the behind the scenes footage of that video these are the days of our lives yeah and he looks awful mm-hmm. I mean, he's yeah. got he so dying. much makeup right and the video is in black and white probably to hide the fact that he looks so sick I sure. remember I remember looking at it as a kid and being like obviously after like Doug said, America, they were big, but they weren't like super big. In America, it's a shame. They don't love you until you're dead. I remember them like going back into the catalog and showing I'm going slightly mad. And I had the album and looking at the videos like, man, he really looked like he yeah. was dying. The, I mean, the, his mustache is gone. He's really yeah. pale. He just, it it's disturbing and sad that that's, it's but a shame. He was still out there. And no, oh, really? Freddie Mercury has AIDS? Like, nobody even like thought about it. Yeah, I think even when he finally acknowledged that he passed away, it was like the next day. Yeah, it was like two it weeks was, later. It was really yeah. close. And I think that's what it, really what, when the AIDS epidemic, people start recognizing it, like even though it was around for a few years before that, and you know, a star like Freddie Mercury, it hit home to so many people that were coming up in music, like Axl Rose and this, and like all these bands that were influenced by Queen. And Freddie Mercury dies, is considered like one of the greatest front men of all time, gave the greatest concert of all time at yeah. Live Aid, you know? We talked about Queen is a big band that had it. Maybe we continue about established artists coming out with big hits, and then we could talk about the the grunge stuff that kind of mm-hmm. came up because, like, the debuts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, Van Halen had a huge hits through '91. For unlawful oh. carnal knowledge is thirty years old. Yeah, like that's the album that right now was on. Man, you remember how huge it was. That video, man, was that video was just cool. Yeah, like, yeah, I just thought I just enjoyed that video. Pound cake, I love that song. We'll play we'll play, play, the, play, a little play bit that of beginning it. with that drill. Mm-hmm. 
when this album came out, it was so big. This was my Van Halen album. This is like my first one I ran out and bought when it came out. We talked about that in the episode on our favorite American rock and roll bands. Mm-hmm. Would you pick Van Halen or Ryan? You pick yeah. Van Halen, and we said, which singer do we like? And all three of us said we prefer the Sammy, Sammy Hagar yeah. years yeah. over David Lee Roth. We went and saw the Pound Cake tour. We uh, saw them at the Spectrum. They were awesome. Um, Alice in Chains opened up for Van Halen. And they got booed off the stage. And they got booed off the stage. Yeah, well, I think we'll get to Alice in Chains. Yeah. But it was crazy how MTV was putting these middle-aged men as still rock stars on MTV. Guys like Van Halen or Tom Petty or U2 or uh, the guys from Metallica. You know, they're a bunch of older guys. You know, and they they were making them still rock stars. But why prior like MTV now is like Justin Bieber's like thirty years old now. Established bands with big hits. You had Van Halen for Unlawful Carnal Knowledge, Tom Petty into the Great Wide Open, U two Octung Baby, REM Out of Time, Red Hot Chili Peppers Blood Sugar Sex Magic, Metallica the Black Album, and Guns N' Roses Use Your Illusion One and Two. Wow. The fact that that's what well, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight albums right there. If that's only thing that came out that year, you're like, that's a really great year in music. But you still listen to all those albums, though. All I do, albums. right. Yeah. All those albums. Like, I listen to Octone Baby to this day, and it, it still blows me away. That album has such a different sound of their other stuff. They were having a really hard time recording that album, and they were going out to the discos at night, and Bono and Edge were getting into these disco beats. Yet you hear Mysterious Ways... Or you hear um, Zoo TV, the Zoo TV, or the Fly. They have this like techno kind of thing going for them. I think they were changing their image at the time again, which was fitting their music as an art form. You know, Bono invented the Fly Man. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, with the goggles. Yeah, and, yeah. Weren't I they like Lou Reed's like sunglasses and like Elvis's jack leather jacket? Yeah, I'd and, forgotten like, about that. Yeah, maybe and, let's. Why don't we play like thirty seconds of the fly? And yeah. it's like, and, and maybe guys listening at home, like, just think of another U two song. No, rattle it was hum or yeah, the Joshua Tree was like a couple years right before this, and then a couple years later they hit you with this. My favorite U2 song is on this album. It's called uh, Until the End of the World. So do you know what that song's about? I do not. It's about Jesus before he goes on the cross, and Judas is t- trying to talk to him. Like, you know, you're, you're walking around like a crazy person, like talking about the end of the world and all that. Huh. And he's trying to change his, his mind about what are, you, what are you about to do here. Yeah. When this album came out, the hardcore U2 fans did not like it at all. You're Like Ryan was saying, you're coming off of the Joshua Tree and like rattle and hum and all that and then here's this album that people don't know make heads or tails out of like what is this no i remember it coming out and i wasn't even a u2 fan but i knew it was different i knew it was different than the joshua tree or i knew it was different than you know even with the bb king they were playing with bb yeah. king a couple of years before I, that i feel like if you heard that song if you've never heard that song before and you, you know you just walked in the door mm-hmm. here and i put the headphones on and played it for you 
You might think that's a new song. Like I think I don't. That doesn't if, sound dated to me at all. I don't put, think it sounds dated. No, no. especially if you put like some remixed yeah. demo thing. Like, like they could release October Baby thirty year anniversary and put a super remix of the fly yeah. out there. It but would the, be huge. Like there's an affect on his voice there, but it's not that crappy auto tune mm-hmm. that made me no. go bonkers about Cher. It's when you had, <laughs> it's, you had to invent things to, yeah. to get your sound through. I'm not a big fan of some of their newer stuff, but they're always That's, pushing the envelope with like their stage show and the studio. They're always recreating themselves. Like a couple weeks ago, we had we talked about the Beatles, and like granted, like you two did a, a longer time span but they're always changing themselves you always yeah. got to stay fresh you always got to keep it going like keep it relevant and like when they did Oxygen baby they recorded in germany zoo station the opening song is a station in germany where the train would go and people would get off to go to the punk rock show it would be like kind of i don't know like the grand central hmm. station and you have people going to the opera on tuxedos then you have all the punk rock people then you have all the techno people and this and that. it's a big melting pot and they were totally into it. They were like, we need something new. And we're standing right in the middle of it. Yeah. You know, like like Doug said, they had all this influential things. And you hear it on the on um, Octone Baby. It's so diverse. Like, every song on there is different. They actually kicked off the tour in Philadelphia, didn't they? They did. And yeah. they, I remember seeing on MTV News, they, they had the sound, uh, like, you know, working out the show, working out the kinks and all the sound down at Hershey. But, you know, Kurt Lohler goes up to Bono and is like, oh, you know, why aren't you playing any of the old songs on, on this tour? And Bono simply said, because I don't feel like it, you know, because he wanted to reinvent themselves. So why are you choose great band, man? Doug, you mentioned like the Fly character. I, I made me think of Bowie, yeah. like always coming up with these, yeah. the Thin White Duke and Ziggy yeah. Stardust, like just these well, these personas. Yeah. And like he wore that outfit everywhere. And like even him wearing like sunglasses, he still does it, but they're like, Different, they're like yellow. He, he changes like like a chameleon. Every like when he was doing a Joshua Tree, he was a cowboy. You know yeah. when he was doing Which round humming, he was a blues guy. Now Octone Baby, he was like the ultimate rock star. But toward the end of that tour, he became like this. De- like I forget the name of the character that he played. Manifesto. Yeah, and he changed into this Vegas sw- sw- like swanky glitter jacket. Devil ears yeah, he's been and, on tour yeah. for three years. Yeah, you know, characters change. It's a shame that Bono like got lost in his own world and decided he was going to save the world that he lives in. But man, he he at one time he was a great front man. I'm not I taking can... away from anything that he is now. I went and saw the Joshua Tree tour, and I had tears in my eye the whole show. But man, I wish Bono would stop trying to save the the world and just do be the fly man again. They they do put on a fantastic stage show. I mean, the elaborate, the the stage sure. setup, and the lights and all the stuff. So yeah, that's it with you two. They're they're really good. Uh, which one of these bands you want to talk about next? I know you guys really really want to dive into Out of Time by REM, but we can just kind of skip over that. <laughs> I think we said everything we want to say about Shiny it. Shiny happy people. <laughs> we'll cross that one off the list. The next one on the list that I have here by the established artist was Blood Sugar Sex Magic by Red Hot Chili Peppers. That album was such a hardcore part of my listening life in high school. I mean, they really pushed the envelope. This is the album that turned the page for them, what they are today. It changed my world. One of the many albums that I have written down in 91 that changed my world. It changed the way you thought, the way you listened. Like, what is this? You know, even though, like, you had higher ground before that and this and that, it was dark, it was dangerous, it was just... It was really sexual. Yeah. I mean, I was watching some of their videos today. I was watching Give It Away. 
And I'm like, man, these guys didn't give a shit. People thought they were gay, straight. They didn't care. You know, they're all painted up in glitter and Aunt Nikitas has his legs spread out and grabbing himself and whatnot. And I'm like, wow, they put this on MTV during the middle of the day in 1991. You know, it's groundbreaking. And, and, you know, you got two guys kissing in it in 1991. They were the funkiest funkers (laughs) around, dude. The funkiest funkers. (laughs) Even at the end of that album, there's a a song, They're Red Hot. Let me play it a little bit because I have a reason behind this. That's a Robert Johnson song. Is it? Yeah. That they rewrote and sped up. Their influences are like all over the place and it, and it shows, and especially in this album. You know what I mean? It's yeah. it's crazy. Like some of the songs I've written down here, like Funky Monks, Power Quality, my favorite song, Mel Ship Slinky B and Major. B Major. You know, it's it's unreal. That's a great song. My band used to play that and it was like What Mel Ship? Oh yeah. That was like one of the hardest songs you can imagine playing. Then you got like Breaking the Girl, and Chad Smith said this, like, go out there and play something, like, lay it down. So he starts playing, uh, what's that Jimi Hendrix song? Um, Manic Depressant. Manic Depressant. And that's when he went out and played. He listened to the drums. It's the exact drums for that song. But yeah, the Red Hot Chili Peppers, I think 91 was their year. There's a crazy album. They're all, they're all junked out. Yeah. You love, love that album. They were both on, Doug, they were on both of our... Yeah. Top six American yeah. rock and roll bands. I wish they would make that album over again because, like, you know, I have a love hate relationship mm-hmm. with those two. It's understandable. But that's like the first album Nikitas thought he could sing. Well, I wish they would have never made Under the Bridge. Well, that's a song I can never hear ever again. I don't need to hear well, it ever again. Rick Rubin told him, hey, you could sing. Start <laughs> singing. Great album, though. So many great songs from, from beginning to the end. It was like definitely a game changer. Maybe next one I got on here is Tom Petty into the Great Wide Open. I don't know if we need to talk like great a song ton about it. Great song. That and yeah. Learning to Fly is my favorite oh, Tom Petty song. I agree with you. I yeah. absolutely agree with you. Into the Great Wide Open we're talking about. What a great song yeah. that is. Tells a story. It's a story of, of uh, a rock star. The video was great with Johnny Depp playing the rock star. Just the, the words of the song tell the story. And that's why Tom Petty was so awesome. He would tell stories in the songs. Great Wide Open. I always thought Tom Petty wrote it about Axl Rose. You think so? I don't know. You know it makes sense. They were pals. Yeah, you know, just the, the the way the words go is just a little bit too close to Axel. I never thought about that, but yeah. now I think about it. Do you want to do you want to talk about Axel? I'm always ready to talk about it. <laughs> All right, so Guns and Roses, man. Use your illusion one and use your illusion two. I cut school. The day these yeah. albums came out, because I had to have them. Well, we got you beat. Guns N' Roses did a really small tour before those two albums came out. So my mom let me and Ryan skip school to go down to the Spectrum and camp out for tickets. And that that was on a Tuesday. The show was on a Friday. And that was an unbelievable show. That's good parenting. Those first two out. Those one and two are unbelievable to this day. They're very important to me. Everybody thinks they're like overproduced. A couple weeks ago, our boys at Mixtapes and Tasty Cakes, they were rating the uh, Use Your Illusion albums. They, they had a pretty good, they were trying to make it down to one album. I can never do that because I love both albums so much. I totally disappeared into those albums. I have a great theory. It's so overproduced. Axel's voice is so many layered. So many things are going on. 
I think because he has such a schizophrenic part of him. He's perfectionist. In his mind and all these different voices that are in his head and he puts them on tape. It's like if you listen to something like Don't Cry, there's three different voices going on. And, and there was two versions of Don't Cry, yeah. right? There was there was one on was it one on each album? Yeah. And yeah. Shannon Hoon's one of the voices on there. Yeah, too. Shannon, Shannon Hoon from Blind Melon. Blind Melon. I I just think it it just shows how much of a lunatic Axel really was. Do you know the story of why that was two separate albums and not a double album? I think it was because they didn't want to charge the kids. They didn't want to have like me and Doug go out there and have to spend thirty dollars to buy their two albums. So what they did was they put two of them out separately. You can buy one now and one later. I ran out, but nobody bought, did that. Nobody everybody, did that. Everybody bought two. Yeah. Well, what I what happened with me was I went out and bought the second one first because the You Could Be Mine was right. on there and Knocking on Heaven's Door was right. on there. Right, and I was so into it. I had to go get the next yeah, yeah. one on the next day. And the second one hit number one. The first one never did. The second oh, really? One, the second really? one was a number one. I think that was because the You Could Be Mine was yeah. on there yeah. and knocking yeah. on Heaven's Door. Yeah. I mean, it, it also had Civil War on it. Um, and Civil War was released prior to that for, like, they had Stephen Adler played on That was the last song they ever played with them because they did it at uh, Farm Aid with Stephen Adler. And there was some kind of, like, court thing going on and... Stephen and I want to get paid and blah 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 and you know, I always the, I always like the the blue one more than the red album. I, I do too, you. but there's a couple songs on the first one that I really really like. Yeah. Like Dead Horse is a great song. Dead Horse That's is a great song, right? Yeah, Comb yeah. is a great song. Yeah. Comb is a great song. Yeah. You should play a little bit. Yeah, of that. Yeah, play a little bit of that. It's really long, but we can. Oh, man, he was just so deep. And that song's 10 minutes and 14 seconds long. That's a really it's, long song. And it's him talking through the whole thing. Yeah. It's been a while since I've heard that song. They were a great band. They're still a great band. Let's see if they do anything more. Ryan, you were talking about the mixtapes and Tasty Cakes guys mixing both albums down to one good album. Could you Could you even do that? I can't do that because I love it too much. I need all those songs. I'm still a guy that listens to the album in its completeness. Like, I, I have both one and two on vinyl, and I listen to it through. I can't listen to yesterday and not think of the next song that's coming on next. I don't think there's a bad song on any of the albums, do you, do you think the fact that it was split up and it was one and two and they came out at the same time made it more popular? I can't think of another band that did that. Springsteen did it. Yeah, Two albums? To- oh, yeah, Lucky Town and... and yeah, but yeah. Guns N' Roses was huge. Yeah. Like, huge. Yeah. Some of the, a lot of those songs were written before the first album. Shame on me for not knowing that about Springsteen. Hey, I, <laughs> but I know I know a little. But the the nineties are also yeah. his bad era, his bad decade. But like um, November Rain was written before Appetite for Destruction. I just think I couldn't make it into one album. Would it make a great album if it was just one? Yeah, but for me in my life, distraction in life, I needed both of them because I disappeared in those albums. And it had big drums in it, so it really influenced me to play drums. 
the layering of guitars on there and everything. But I love the Izzy Stradlin songs. I love the Duff McKagan songs. I, I just love both of those albums. I could not ever put it in one record. But, it has to be one and two in its completeness. I love I just love them. They they helped me through life so much. But what other band could have done that back then? Name one. And they're another band that or maybe one of the first bands we're talking about that MTV absolutely helped them with this. I mean, oh like my God. the trio of videos, like November Rain, mm. like those videos, the You Could Be Mine video was yeah. everywhere. And it had the clips and Terminator huge. in it. It was the first thing that they, they showed of Guns N' Roses in a couple of years. You know, it was like, oh my God, they're coming back. Here they come. And man, they came back with those two huge albums. Like you said, like MTV helped them out. They helped MTV. Yeah, yeah, you know, they true. Right. they really did. Like they're they're just talking about a monster band. Like besides another huge band that came out with an album that year, nobody was bigger than them. The opening drums on "You Could Be Mine" that is like just it's so kick the door down. We are here. We are gonna rock out. That was like one of the first things I learned how to play on drums. Was it? It's one of my go-to fills when I have to do like some kind of solo or something rock on man that's good yeah i mean it's always a good go-to but yeah guns and roses were king of 91 yeah so the last one i had on this list right here is metallica wow the black album which is like again that's the last one that we're talking about last but not least that's i mean this is the album that that flung them into the mainstream right but this is an album that a lot of those guys didn't like like when the Black Album came out, they lost a lot of fans. They got a lot of fans. They gained a lot of fans, but they lost a lot of fans. I was already a fan by the time the Black Album came out. And I really loved the Black Album the first time I heard it. I remember hearing Enter Sandman the first time. I'm like, whoa, this is better than one. Really? Yeah, because it, it was just a, a, that drum intro. Mm was huge going back you know think about how i said for unlawful car knowledge was my van hal album the black album was my metallica album that was the first one i actually went out and the day came out with bought it they really worked their asses off to make that album there's a lot of money invested in it yeah a lot um, of rightfully so you know like i said like a lot of people didn't like that album you know, everybody knows how much everybody hates it. You know, whatever. I said it in our podcast before, I think they're posers, the ones that say they hate it. Mm-hmm. I think they're the posers. Mm-hmm. I have it on vinyl. I've been listening for the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's a monster album. I don't disagree with you. It's a monster album. Sad but true. I don't disagree with you. Dude, The Unforgiven is so underrated. It's on the guitar solo in Unforgiven is probably one of the best guitar solos of ever. his career. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. You know, his whole, his, uh, his um, passion is everything is in it. They brought it live, the Black Album, but they really took a long time to record it. There was a, a, a documentary made about, it was called A Year and a Half of Metallica, and they had the, the video showing of how they made the Black Album. And, it's, and it showed them how they were like almost like fist fighting each other mm-hmm. in the studio. It said the frustration in the there. The tension. The yeah. tension, it all added up and it made this great album. Then, like, you got a major heavy song in there. It's like Sad But True. That is like a rattle shaking inside bit busting song. Wherever my, I may roam, you have some like heavy that's songs my, on there. That's my favorite one. You know, yeah. I always that's, love, a, that's song I never get tired of. Yeah. I always love that video. I love any touring video. Like, yeah. It's like yeah. showing a band on tour. Yeah. Like The Struggle Within. 
Great song off that great album. Song. Great yeah. intro from like uh, West Side Story, you know? Yeah, why don't we play a little bit of that? We got it on our playlist. To me, this is the album that started the uh, hell, hell, hell. <laughs> You know, I was in Guitar Center a couple weeks ago. Doug needed to buy something. And I turn around and I see this young kid and he's playing a Metallica riff. He's playing he's playing like Enter Sandman, you know? And I turned around and I was like, this is great to see you, man, playing some Metallica. And I think the Black Album is a great introduction to any kid wanting to play the guitar or wanting to get into heavy metal. I agree. You know, if if a kid if I was a teacher and a kid said to me, I want to know what heavy metal is about, I'd give them the black album. That's a cool perspective to talk about the musicianship. They're another band too, like that MTV, I mean the Enter Sandman video oh. was everywhere again. Everywhere. I, I haven't seen it in years and I can still remember we it. We were in the rock and roll of fame and they have Kurt Hammett's guitar from the video on the wall and I was like, Oh my god god all the all the time that i've seen that in the video it's it's like right in front of me even the old guy the old man in the video they had t-shirts with his face on it i'm not saying it's a bad album all i'm saying is they lost a lot of those hardcore fans well they all those hardcore fans they got all the other kids the kids no like i said they they lost they lost some fans but they gained like 10 times more over they put a huge concert on in 91 in moscow and like half the country showed up to, to watch Metallica play. Um, one thing Ryan and I were talking about before you showed up today, Bruce, is that like you know how much love, like how much the Black Album is not liked. They're not liked. You know, it's kind of like oh, you know, our heroes are aren't heavy anymore. Like the year later, that's when Vulgar Display of Power came out. So these guys from Pantera heard this album, and they were not happy with their their favorite band like making quote a pop album so it influenced influenced them to write heavier hmm. music which became vulgar display of power i read that today on the way over interesting here. i think it had a huge inspiration on generation absolutely just seeing that kid play the guitar and and seeing metallica still relevant it's going to be like metallica and the black albums could go down like zeppelin did with zeppelin 2 it's always going to be a reference to heavy metal it, it you know it should be it's the greatest heavy metal album ever made. We said in one of the other episodes that they're the Rolling Stones of they heavy are. metal now. Right? I was, was going to say that again. Yeah, yeah. they yeah. are totally. They are. Yeah. Well, um, we went and seen them, and parents are holding up their kids, saying "Sad but true." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then you know, before that, everybody thought that Guns N' Roses is going to be the Rolling Stones, but nope, it's yeah. going to be Metallica. It's always going to be Metallica. That are. One of my favorite, going back, greatest American rock and roll bands of all time, and rightfully so. And that album had a lot to do with it. I think another band that had a really interesting album in 91 opened for you too, right? And that tour that we're t- you guys were talking yeah, about? Yeah, on the Octone Baby tour. I didn't go, but there was. I never forgot the name of the band that opened up for them. 
and it was Primus. Primus sucks. Yeah. Sailing the seas of cheese. Prim- you two always brought out like the, who's the n- next big thing coming yeah. out, and they saw Primus, and they were like, this band is different. Let's have them on the tour. Me and Ryan saw that Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey movie. That was the first time I saw Primus. I think we saw it in the movie theater. It was one of those experiences that changed. I literally, like a week later, bought Sea of Cheese album. And it changed my whole idea of what music is supposed to be. I've never heard. It was from outer space. Just Les Claypool is an absolute genius. The whole band's genius. You get those three guys together. Three guys that make that sound. They're they're weird dudes. He's an amazing bass player just alone. Yes. But his eccentricity just makes like they're so weird. He's been in like a thousand different side projects and weird things that he does. I, I love Primus. I had the same reaction the first time I heard, I like, I heard What that is this? Album. And I need more of it in my I, life. I, yes. You know? I had this album on cassette and was like, what is this? Man. Like Tommy the Cat, Jerry Race Hard yeah. Driver. Sergeant you know. Baker is my favorite yeah, song I love on Sergeant that album. Baker. Love that song. Uh, play a little Jerry's a Race Car Driver because I think it's so it's so different. The bass is just so... Dude, the way, was, the way was, he plays it, the it bass. Just, I never heard anything like it. And I don't know if I started playing bef- at that point. Seriously? Probably not. It just... How you do that? I never heard a guy play bass like this. I've been playing for 30 years, and I, I can't play that. I don't even know how he makes that sound. Do you? I mean, Doug, I, you're a bass player. Yeah, well, you know, like, I still can't do it. But um, he taps like Eddie Van Halen. Like, who? nobody else does that. Like, I'm sure, like, you know, Vic Wooten and all these guys, like, these respectable bass players now. But it, it's punk rock. It was skate music. It was like... So instead of, like, the slap bass, he's the tap bass. He's tapping it. He's tapping with his finger on the fretboard, like Eddie Van Halen. And crazy. It's, 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 it's crazy how the mind works. Like, he didn't invent it, but he, he did it on bass. And they're they're still making music. I mean, he's done some really weird shit too, but man. Like, one yeah, album, he's done the Oysterhead. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's with yeah. like um, yeah, with Trey and Anastasia, Trey and uh, Stuart, Stuart Copeland, Copeland from The Police. But he just did another album with uh, Sean Lennon that I think Bruce you like also. Yeah, yeah, it is fantastic. Like it's the best thing I've heard in years. Like, yeah, a lot of his one-off stuff. Like he'll he'll come out with a band and just do one album and then yeah, disappear. The, the Holy Macro album was great. loved it. Yeah, we were working in the music store when that was yeah. out all the time. Henry Rollins is on one of those songs. Yeah, but one thing that I'm I'll always be jealous. Well, two things of Ryan I'll be jealous. Of. He sold Prince. Just <laughs> say I got the bigger <laughs> dick. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> uh Ryan got to see Prince, and then he got to see Ryan see Primus do the Willy Wonka project. Oh, really cool. It was perfect. You know, he came out, he did a bunch of, like, great hits, like Jerry Racecar Driver and whatever, and then he took 20-minute intermission, and he opened up again, and it was the Candyland. And he came out and did all those crazy Willy Wonka songs. If you ever really want to trip out and hear, listen. You ever it's listen, a good time. 
I'm, it's, it's great. It's it's. I think it, it worked better seeing it live than it does looking at, on an album. I but, think it's great. I didn't see it, but you get a different perspective listening. The visual to it. thing of it was, yeah. was amazing. And I'll go back. I said this before. I don't really like visuals with my music. I really liked not not like a like a concert. I'm sure it was like I definitely would want to see that. But I I love the visuals of what I have, what that that scene is in my head. Just listening to it because it's so out there. It's so it's scarier than the actual recordings of those songs. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's a scary movie, man. That's scary, scary stuff. Primus, great band. They're totally when nineteen ninety one. They we were ready for them. We needed something funky, yeah. more funky. We needed more funky bands, and they were it. They've never been like a huge like mainstream band, but no. I feel like that's that, great. That's though. Where I don't they, want that's them where to they, be. That's where they started the. What they also did the South Park song. Yeah. Yes. Yes. You're so right. they they everybody knows who Primus is, yeah. especially from that generation. But I feel like but that's I don't want them of, to be big, man. No. Yeah, that's cool. All right, so that's it with Primus. Another another established artist that we didn't talk about was that had an album that came out in 1991 was Ozzy Osbourne and No More Tears. 91 was when I first started playing bass. And that beginning is probably one of the first things I learned how to play. And I thought it was just like the coolest thing in the world. That's again, that might be my my Ozzy album. That might have been like the first time, the first album I really, really like Ryan was really into like No Rest of the Wicked and I enjoyed those albums, but when no More Tears came out from beginning to end. I love that album. That's the last album with Zach Wilde, too, right? No, Zach was with him for a while. Was he? Out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. He did, like, Perry Mason and all he's that. Been okay. all, he's yeah. been Osmosis. off and on with him for 30 years. Gotcha. I, I remember they, they split at one point. I couldn't yeah. remember if that was then or later. Yeah, he, he wrote a lot of songs. Lemmy wrote a song on that album. He did? Hellraiser, the song was called. And it was also recorded again by Lemmy. And he made it for the, one of the Hellraiser movies. Oh, really? Rock on. Did yeah. you ever hear it, Bruce? No. It's good. No, it's, I've it, never heard it. It's good. Yeah. Obviously, Mama, I'm Coming Home was a huge hit. And it was great to have Ozzy in the charts. Yeah. You know, it was great to still have like this rock and roll icon out there stirring the pot up. Remember, he was like, no more tears. There's going to be no more tours. Yeah. The No More Tours right. gimmick. Yeah. 30, 30 yeah. years ago. Yeah. yeah. Like Mr. Tinker Train is the opener to that album. That's a great song. Like I'm looking at all the this Desire. That's a great song. Time After Time. That's a great tune. Yes. You know. Aviation is a great song. Road to Nowhere. This is a great album. Beginning it's well end. produced. Yeah. It is very well produced. It's not super heavy. It's not like... It's a pop, it's not a pop album, but no. it was like, at that time, it was like, they had a goal, and it was to be on MTV. It was commercial. It was record executives, because there's money in Ozzy. Still a name. He's still a name. Yeah, a marketable... Yeah, absolutely. Commo- music and, commodity. And that's going back to, like, the think of the world that you're in. Like, okay, we didn't even talk about Van Halen right now. You know, that was a Pepsi commercial. Everything was marketable. Rock and roll was like really, really big, still big back then. Yeah. Another great metal band in 91 that was celebrating their 10-year anniversary was Motley Crue. They started in 81 and they were celebrating their 10-year accomplishment. The song Primal Scream. Great song. On, on their decade to decadence, decade to right? decadence, and, and you know, I remember sitting there, man. This band's been around for so long; they have a greatest hits album out already. You know, and unfortunately, it was the last album that, or the last song that they would do with Vince Neil for a long time. And in my opinion, this is one of the best Motley Crue songs there is. I agree with you. I we, agree. Let's play a little bit of it. Yeah, sure. 
Yeah, Motley, man. They were put the greatest hits out in 91. Is that the only song they recorded for that album? No, there was a few other songs. Oh, wait, they did Anarchy in the UK, didn't they? And that was horrible. Oh, that was horrible. And that Primal Scream song, that's another one that I think just stands up. I think think it still sounds like a modern song. I couldn't believe Motley Crue when they broke up. Yeah. Right after that song was a hit. So what else do you guys want to talk about? Ryan, you were talking a little bit about like what else was going on in rock and roll music. It just seemed like rock and roll getting so stale. Rock and roll was getting light. What I mean that is being like unplugged. At that time, there was a trend going on. Everybody was going unplugged, just not on the MTV show. But, you know, you had bands like Extreme doing more than words. You had bands, Mr. Big, Bees With You. You had Tesla. They had a hit with Signs. Firehouse, Don't Treat Me Bad, was 30 years old. That had a big acoustic guitar. Silent Lucidity, that had a huge acoustic Queen's guitar. Right? And that, yeah, that, that, that song was everywhere. Now, a hair metal band made one of the biggest albums of 91. Now it was Skid Row. Yeah, that, Slave the Grind. That was a huge album. And yeah, that's our should, best album. Yeah, maybe we should acknowledge that before we we wrap up and move on. That I love that album. I love. What's that? I, I was kind of surprised to hear both of you guys say that too, because I always thought that that was after they were they were done, no, like no, over the hump no, with hair metal. No. That album still rocks. Yeah, Monkey Slave to the today. Grind. Monkey Business, yeah. Slave to the Grind. I was listening to that the other night. I mean, it's a tough album. But you know, they they were still Quick San Jesus is on there. Play a little Monkey Business. Yeah. yeah well, I still love that song. Maybe I'm in, maybe no, I'm perpetually no, no. stuck in the nineties, but nope. That album is great. We saw them on that tour, and Pantera opened up for them. First time we ever. We didn't even know what Pantera. We oh, didn't know Pantera what Pantera opened for Skid yeah, Row. Dude, yeah, we bought tickets that day at the Spectrum. That's awesome. Yeah, we didn't even know what a mosh pit was. We Skid Row played the Spectrum. Wait, Skid Skid Row played the Spectrum Skid with Pantera. Row, Skid Row, a headline. At the Spectrum, as Pantera opened up for him. Oh, wow. That's so weird to hear that, that you guys say that about this album, because I always thought that Skid Row, and maybe I, I don't, I live in a very small bubble of Skid Row, I thought they hit their peak with like no. 18 in Life, and I Remember You, and then they were done, and that this no. was the album that had like the little cutout in the corner that you would get in like the bargain bin. No. They didn't realize that everybody like no. loved this album. Maybe I'm, I'm doing a disservice I, to I the love Skid Row. The Dude, this, this, uh, Album debuted number one. It was the first heavy metal album to debut number one on the Billboard charts. Shame on me because they're another Jersey band. Yeah, they were one of the best. I agree with that. Yeah, especially off that I, album. I'm woefully uneducated on my Skid yeah. Row. I need to brush up. And considering that I have like 15 pages of notes in front of me <laughs> as you're doing this, I clearly spent my 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 energy and time is misdirected. So no, they're just something to mention that they were a heavy heavy band. All right, cool. So we talked about all these really really big albums that came out from YouTube and Metallica and Guns N' Roses. I think it's really important to also keep in mind that at this time, you still have bands like Poison still had, like Something to Believe In was still on the on the chart in early 91. Warrant is still on the chart. Vanilla Ice is still around. Like all the, this hair metal, this cheesy stuff is still all there. But when we come back after the commercial break, we're going to talk about some of the new bands that start coming up and they just wipe the entire board clean and oh, we just start yeah. over. So... So we're going to take a quick commercial break, and we'll be back. 
This episode of the Prisoners of Rock and Roll is brought to you by McCusker's Tavern, located at 17th and Shunk Streets in South Philadelphia. McCusker's Tavern has been in business for more than 50 years, making it the oldest bar west of Broad Street and a city known for its neighborhood watering holes. Minutes from the sports stadium, McCusker's is a great place to stop in for a few beers before or after a game or a concert. There's a reason why everyone from Philadelphia Magazine to Playboy have ranked it as one of the best dive bars in the city. Music is such an important part of McCusker's Tavern that we're actually recording this episode from there right now. They're currently closed due to the pandemic, but miss everyone and hope to see them soon. In the meantime, check them out on Facebook. That's McCusker's Tavern. All right, everybody, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. So we're going to keep on rocking here and talking about how the music industry has changed in 1991. Before we dive back in and start talking about some of the bands, I want to talk a little bit about how music was measured. And I thought this was really interesting as I was doing my research. So before 1991, Billboard, the way they used to track music was they would call music stores and just say, hey, what are you selling? And they would call radio stations and go, hey, what, what's hot? And there's no other way around this. People would just lie. You know, radio stations would just promote albums that were on sale or they had a lot of inventory. And radio DJs would just talk about things that were being pushed by the record labels. But then in 91, Billboard actually started changing it and they were running, they were getting data right from music stores. So like when Sam Goody would sell something, the numbers would go right from like the register electronically to them. So there was no more lying and there was no more BS. The only thing that was different about this was Tower Records wasn't a part of this whole electronic thing. So everything the Tower sold, which was like the second biggest music company really? in the country, you didn't get that data. But the way that this stuff was tracked, all that crap that we talked about at the beginning, the Rico Suave and Vanilla Ice, <laughs> that's all goes away, oh, and some of this stuff we're going to talk about in the second half of the show. All this different kind of music comes like flowing. In. It, it's like a it's a vacuum of bad music, and all this new stuff flows in. And hip hop and country, and some really kick ass rock and roll music comes in because of this. And this was something I never even knew about till we started diving into this episode. So that's my nerd, my no. music nerding out kind of stuff. I found one of the roots behind it. No, it changed everything. So, you, know, you would, like, you, like you said, you would see NWA being number one. You would see Skid Row being number one. You'd see what the fans were buying, like when the system started. But I always went to a record store and asked, like, you always had like guys you went to in the store, like who you like, like, like I would never heard three eleven, like this is completely off subject, like three eleven rhymes, like you need to hear this. So I always wanted to speak to the people working in the record store. Hopefully they weren't so burned out at the time and it just became a job, but really respected their opinion on what I should be listening to or like, have you heard this? Or, hey, I'm looking for something new. I was more about the criticizing what people bought. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that said, it's not all just the fact the way that they measured the stuff, they changed no. it. There's just some really, really awesome stuff that comes out. This is the year that grunge music gets its start. Yes, it does. I mean, you had this whole grunge Seattle thing. It was going on before Nirvana and Pearl Jam. You had Soundgarden. You had Alice in Chains. They were on MTV regularly. It wasn't called grunge at the time. They were on Headbangers Ball. It definitely was a new sound that was 
taking over the hairband sound. But then you had that one day when the buzz clips starting to appear on MTV. It's like, oh, what's this buzz clip thing? And I remember the first time I heard Smells Like Teen Spirit. I had totally forgotten about buzz clips. And I literally saw the video, heard this music that instantly changed who I was. I literally got up off my couch the second the video was over and went down to my local record store and bought Nevermind and listened to that thing until it wore out. What were the big grunge albums that came out in 91? Nevermind. Nevermind by Nirvana. 10. 10 by Pearl Jam. Bad Motor Finger by Soundgarden. Temple of the Dog. I was say you have to throw Temple of the Dog. Temple of the there. Dog came out. Yeah. Mud. I, I'm personally not a Mud Honey fan, but they yeah, turned some heads. With but that. they yeah, yeah, they were a part of that early scene. They had an album, Every Good Boy Deserves Fudge, and Allison Chains. Their album Facelift came out in ninety. I don't. Are they a grunge band? Sometimes they're considered grunge. Sometimes they're metal. They're from but Seattle. Some of their some yeah. of their single like Man in a Box spills into ninety one. I was yeah. never a huge Allison Chains fan. I got to be completely honest. And my opinion of that album, you know, I'm going to get a lot of hate about this. I literally thought they were a leftover type hair metal band. Yeah, you said that, that before. kind of made it, made crossover. Even though they probably had the material that they wanted to put out, the record company was probably like, no, 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 we want this. But those other bands, they release everything. And I mean, what you just said about that, hearing that song, I think we all experienced that. I think everybody our age experienced that. Who was into rock and roll had that experience with that song. It smells like Teen Spirit, right? Yeah, and, and that's like that's our generation's version of like hearing the Beatles or the Who or the Who or you know it's that moment like you you remember hearing that and then everything that you listened to after was different than what you heard before. Even Brett Michael said like he heard it and he said, "Well, we're all out of a job." and it happened within a year. Music changed in a year. Nirvana is, you know, considered the uh, the ones that did it. But Pearl Jam, they're the ones still around. They're the ones still selling out stadiums. They're, they were my number one American rock and roll band. They are my who of my generation. They are the, the ones that took that journey with you through your life and still going through the journey. Even though their music is not great these days, they just released an album and... I think they're, hopefully they have better things to come, but that 10 album from beginning to end. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I mean, those albums come out and they don't gain a lot of popularity in 91. Mm. I think I saw that like Smells Like Teen Spirit is number 17 by the end of the year, but 92 is when they they really, really take off. When 10 came out, it sat on the record pile for, for a few months. Took a while for it to catch on. Nirvana... When it first came out, they automatically hit the record charts. The first week, Nevermind came out, they sold 6,000 copies. <laughs> you know, that's a lot for a little punk rock band. They had success immediately. A band like Pearl Jam, 10, to me, was the album. Like, I was never a Nirvana fan. I, I, can't, I can't help it. They just never touched me. Like, everybody else changed their lives. It didn't do anything for me. 10 changed changed everything for me i had it before everybody you know i wore the t-shirt for everybody i just thought they were a way better band than nirvana i never even bought the nirvana album until this year for the first time in my life and i bought it on vinyl and it's become my favorite vinyl to listen to it it sounds unbelievable these albums sound the way that they do 
is because they were recorded on tape. This was before they, they were doing the, um, digital. Yeah. This is a great point. You mentioned this, and then we were talking about our notes for the show. Yeah, it's like I think that's why these albums sound so well, these classic albums, because they were all made on tape. It was before they start compressing everything on computers. The recording technology has changed as well. Yeah. Right around now too. Like I mentioned a couple times having the some of these albums on cassette and CDs are starting to become popular. Yeah. The computer technology's not here yet. Yeah. No. Like I agree with you. Like just a layer and layering and layering of these albums when they were making them, they're wearing out the tape. Just la- especially on that ten album. There's some so many like hidden things and I've never list I'll be honest with you, I never listed it on vinyl. But I'm sure if I did, I would hear things I never heard before. Well, everything on vinyl you listen to, you hear things. Yeah. Like I said, I never even loved that Nirvana album until a year ago when I bought it on vinyl. I think that's the way it was supposed to be listened to. I mean, I think I, it's my favorite vinyl to listen to because it was made from the tape. I'm really surprised to hear you say that because you were never, like you said, you admit it, you're not even, you were never a huge no, fan of them but and it's that my, album. It's my favorite album to listen to. Good right for now. you. I wish I, I could listen to it for yes. the first time like that. You know? yeah. Interesting. I, I just hated the hype. I hated yeah, the whole... Yeah, I could see that. Like, it was everywhere. Like, Sears starts selling, like, you know, flannel and this and that. And, like, the whole grunge look. It got out of control. And, like, Doc Martens and... But 91 was, like, the runway of the beginning of what became the Seattle scene. A lot of this stuff, like you said, sat on the shelf for a while. And if somebody like Pearl Jam came out now, if you don't hit it quickly, like you don't have that runway now, right? Like no, you don't, no, no, there's no runway. You don't get a year, a year and a half to hit it no, big. No, the, there's still a platform, but it's YouTube. You know, it's like yeah. I don't even, I, I can't even pretend to, um, that I do understand how it's made. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's just crazy how grunge was just became such a pop culture in such a short time everybody started growing their hair long everybody started wearing flannel everybody started wearing chain wallets and they said like this is the way we dress because we're poor right yeah, we're, we're poor this right, but you know, gonna... it's cold and rainy where we live but this is the stuff that comes in that all these other bands are on the board and somebody puts their hands on it and just wipes them all off like you yeah. said the yeah brett michaels going like well we're done because it made everything seem irrelevant and meaningless. They made everybody look stupid exactly. overnight. Grunge for some for the people our age, grunge was our punk music. Sure. Right? Like so sure. music is getting lighter. There's no meaning to it. And like for those of us that are like, we've had enough and we're the kind of jaded kids, like we want something that means a little bit more. This was our answer to it. But then it also introduced us to a whole bunch of other bands, like the Ramones. If it wasn't for Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam, I probably would never discover the Ramones so early. Like, not early in my life, in my teens, but then you got Neil Young. I never listened to Neil Young back then. I mean, Ryan, I wrote it down when you just said it. You you called Nirvana a little punk band from Seattle. Yeah. You called them a grudge band, a little, little punk band. No, yeah, they, they were. weren't a little punk band. Right. And I, I, there was no such thing as grunge. Some marketable, right. some, somebody, somebody from MTV Re- probably. Repackaged yeah. them. Yeah. Right. And if you say that, if they're, if it goes back to punk, and I'm like, well, Pearl Jam's not a punk band. And Seattle, Soundgarden is more of a heavy metal band. But somebody, somebody took the Venn diagram of music and put where these guys are all together. And, and marketing scam. Yeah. But it's really interesting. This just kind of became the music that of the people our age when we were kids. We just, we had enough and we were, 
we needed our rebellious music and this was it. Yeah, we had enough of like CNC Music Factory and Boys the Men and Vanilla Ice and we needed something real. Right. And or, even hair bands like Firehouse and Right, Extreme whatever. and or, all those. Yeah. Extreme's like, a great band though. They are they are great he's band. an amazing guitar yeah. Nuno Bentoncourt's a great guitar player, but that cheesy acoustic warrant we talked before about the the heavy political stuff of the 60s and kind of swung over to the light the party music of the 80s and now it's coming back the other way and it's like no we've had enough of this this glam metal light garbage but you still had bands out there like prior to like social distortion was around yeah, before yeah. 91 yeah. like you know what I mean like yeah, they had, sure. yeah, they had always gonna have, yeah, they were still gonna like, have those, those yeah. undercurrents yeah MTV sure. was really weird in 91 you would have like them playing Pearl Jam or uh, Nirvana but then you them playing the Scorpions Wind of Change you know you still had these bands hanging on the hair bands they were still hanging on but companies were still trying to marketing these bands like you're saying like Extreme was like a hair band to you they weren't to me. They were a funk band. They just got caught up in that time of the hair band series. A band like Tesla, I never thought they were a hair band. Just they just got caught up in that years. You know who gets caught up in those, all the hair band years is the Black Crows. Sure. You know they still get compared to being because they came out in the nineties and they're more of a jam band now than. Than anything i saw them as like the next skinner southern rock i thought it was more than that man i thought they they, they yeah i was way, way into the black crows. yes i always see southern that. harmony I, i've been watching the black crows all week chris robinson's one of the greatest front men ever yeah he's awesome he's an original diva man I've, I've seen them a handful of times they always put on a good show you go out there with the feathers and everything like that yeah all the the boas how did other artists like the guns and roses and all these hair bands like how did they react? I know we talked previously before we started the show about Axel and Kurt Cobain. So Axel liked Nirvana going and, in there. And Nirvana didn't like, yeah. Axel. They were like the little punk rock kids. They're like, I don't yeah. want anything to do with your big band. Yeah. You yeah. Know, we, we, want to, we want to be little punk rockers. I get it. I get why they didn't want to do anything with Guns N' Roses. It was an interesting story I, I came across doing the research. So I guess... Uh, they do the Axl Rose, they do the video for Don't Cry. He's wearing a Nirvana hat. And then they ask Nirvana to open for them on that tour. Kurt Cobain gives an interview and he says, Well, we're not a typical band like Guns N' Roses that has absolutely nothing to say of meaning. Mm-hmm. And then you can't trash can Axl Rose in the media and then it's on. Yeah. And I guess you fast forward to like one of the MTV awards and Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love are they're sitting in the seats with, with their daughter, Frances Bean, and Axl Rose walks by. Courtney Love says something to him and Axl Rose turns around and tells Kurt Cobain, like, tell your wife to shut her mouth or I'm going to punch her in the face or some... some that sounds about right. Some, some very yeah. typical Axl Rose statement. And then there's all kinds of shit like backstage afterward. Like the two bands are going after each other. It's a and, big ego fest. Yeah. You know what I mean, because like, okay, even till today, you have Guns N' Roses on one side and you have Nirvana. They are two different side of spectrums and both bands are still iconic to this day. There was like some pushing and some shoving yeah. behind backstage and all kinds of other stuff. And, and it just it was just one of those things of two different eras clashing in music. It's like the old heads fighting the young heads. Right. And Ryan, you were saying Dave Grohl was just happy just to be there and loving every second of no, it. No, I, I read an article and he was saying Axel 
his thing going with Kurt, and then Duff was doing his thing with Chris, and and then Dave Grohl was like, I was 21, I was having the greatest time in my life, and I was made for chaos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were jealous. They were they saw it coming. No, I mean I remember seeing like that Nirvana, Teen Spirit for the first time. Maybe it didn't do anything to me like holy shit this changed my life but i saw the change coming i was like this is going to knock the wind out of music and it did and they opened the doors for a lot of bands for for years to come but then after that these record executives were signing up every band they could possibly get oh you're from seattle record deal i i remember like Queen Strike here and like oh they're from Seattle like what they have they sound nothing no, like, like anything hard, to do yeah, with that like, they, operatic yeah. metal no. nothing to do no. with the grunge sound no. but you heard you sure as hell heard that they were from Seattle though yeah yeah another rainy night you get that like rain rain yeah. rains in Seattle, rains in Seattle. By this. yeah yeah it was a movement it was an absolute movement it was just like we're kind of tired of the scene and I've been waiting patiently even thirty years later for it to happen again. And uh, like it needs to needs to happen now more than any yeah. anything. Hopefully, there's a kid out there listening to Nirvana album, getting their inspiration. Yeah, but I don't see it happening. Well, no, no, nobody nobody saw it happening before Nirvana yeah. either, yeah. right? Everyone thought there was going to be long hair music and Uncle Tom's Cabin by Warren. Nah. And, all right, cool. You got anything else on grunge? You want to move on to something else? I really love that Temple of the Dog album. They made that in tribute to Andy Wood for uh, Mother Love, love Bone. Bone. Yeah, it was a great album that changed that had more of an effect on me than the nirvana album did it really did i can't say how much i love that album i was so lucky to see temple of dog at concert at madison square garden before chris cornell died that, that was an amazing show hunger strike that was like a big song like how ryan's saying Nevermind was not on his radar he wasn't listening to it, but temple dog that album was not on my radar. I probably never listened to that album probably up to maybe 10 years ago. But we always had different tastes. Yeah. Like, I had enough of Pearl Jam by Time Versus came out. Yeah, you did. I had enough of the whole scene and everything like that. Everybody was fucking miserable through the whole grunge era. You know, and that's why I went the opposite way of, of seeing bands like Fish yeah. and The Grateful yeah. Dead. Yeah. It's because I didn't like the whole bummer of grunge yeah. music yeah and i i didn't catch up to you until maybe about 10 years well not with fish i've been going since 93 94 94 sorry gotta get it right but um i'm kind of with you there now in 40 at 44 like just want some good times and feel good about something and hey man maybe everybody's starting to listen to some more dead and fish in the world today but Unfortunately, I, it's chaotic out there in the world right now. It's a more of a never mind kind of world than a Grateful Dead kind of world right now. And I think people are listening to too much country music, but that's just my opinion. Alice in Change is my favorite band out of that grunge era. Really? Um, yeah. Good for you. I really like them. I know we can we can debate that another time. No, no. But um, like, I think one of my favorite albums is is their Unplugged album. Yeah. I think that's the if I had to say one of my favorite albums. Unplugged albums, absolutely Alice that, in Chains. And that, that in Dirt might be my favorite yeah. albums out of the grunge era. If I had to pick one of the three that started in, that in 91, it would I'd pick Soundgarden. I just The heaviness, his mm-hmm. voice, his high-pitched voice with that really heavy driving guitar just 
that just does it for me. Unfortunately, we lost him, but he was still relevant up until yeah. he he decided to leave us. And you know, you think about like bands like Pearl Jam and this net. He was still more relevant than Pearl Jam, and they're still as a band. And he would go out there and do his own thing. He, like he'd go out there and do his solo thing, and he did that thing with the guys from Raising Us Machine and all that. He really dipped his finger in different paints, you know? And I guess that's the idea of what the original idea of grunge, like, let's just try something different. And I'm sure there's a million other grunge bands that we totally forget about, that we forgot about. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's tons and tons of them. Yeah, I mean, like, we started talking about things that just came out in 91, and we just kept on talking about bands and what they've done through their careers. Um, It's funny how shows can turn out to be that way. 1991... It was just a big diverse of, of music. MTV is such a big part of what was cool. and they, Absolutely. And they did it again with the grunge era. They totally manipulated a whole generation sure. into buying flannel. Yeah. They told you, you it know, was cool. They told you what was cool. MTV, I don't know how they did it. They got these bands to make these multi-million dollar videos and... They would pay. They would play them for free. Like they wouldn't even MTV wouldn't pay them anything to play it. But like Guns N' Roses is dropping a quarter of a million dollars to make a video. Oh, and just hoping that they play your video. Guns N' Roses, like they're going to play their video, and like we're going to play it until you like it. But that's a, that's a great point, Ryan, because you heard all the sort of how much that video cost. Yeah. When that video, when they yeah. made that video when for November, November Rain. Rain, right? Like how expensive it was, and how long it was, and and. They, the record companies the one put all the money out. MTV's like, well, we're not going to pay you that. We're going to play it. We're, you know, you're lucky that we play it for you. you know, well, they, they helped each there's other. There's a lot of things yeah. like that. They helped each yeah. other. Real quick, I kind of want to touch on the way that music is being measured, changed, how other types of music rose to the top of the charts, and then maybe we can just kind of run down this like random list of albums that turned thirty. And if you guys have an opinion on any of them, I'd love to hear them. Cool. All right, cool. So, one, we talked about Slave to the Grind by Skid Row. First metal album to hit number one. So this is really weird that this is the first year a hip-hop album, a country album, and heavy metal album all go number one. I suspect it has to be because of the, the way things are being tracked has changed. So... Nobody's in control anymore. The people are now... They have their voice. Right. We talked about Slave to the Grind. The other one that goes is um, Garth Brooks. He, he has an album that debuts. It hit Rope in the Wind or whatever. Was that his first album? I don't think so. Okay. Was it Thunder, Thunderstruck or... No, that's ACDC. Yeah. My <laughs> yeah. He has an album. It debuts at number one. I'm not a Garth Brooks fan. Neither am I. So, all right. We're done with him. The other one is NWA. So, NWA... Hits number one in June of 91. It's the first hip-hop album to ever to go number one. It goes platinum in a week. Which album is it? What song or album is it? Niggas for Life. Okay. You just you knew that. You just wanted to hear me say uh, that. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I did. But NWA makes that gangster hardcore legit. Like sure. It is number one. It's marketable. Yeah. I am sure that people were scared. Sure they were. Like, was, yeah. I mean... The- People in suburbia were locking right. their doors. That's why it sold, though. That's right. why it sold. But after NWA hits number one, I got a, here's a handful of hip hop artists to come out and have huge hits that year. After that, Cypress Hill, nice. like their yeah. debut Big album. Band. 
Nice. Brother just killed a man. Maybe maybe, That's, maybe yeah, we play can play a little bit. Yeah, of that. like we can we can play a little bit of hip hop here. That's punk rock too. I don't care what anybody says. And like and nobody rapped like him. Like that, his voice is distinct. Yeah, beer reels the real thing. Yeah. yeah. The dude is punk rock. Like he it, is. it is. Well, I always said musicians use what around them to make music. The black community had turntables. They took turntables and made it into an instrument. They made a, a different beat going on with a scratch and a microphone on top of that. To me, the DJ two like two tables and a mixer. That's an instrument. Sure it is. You mean that's just as much as a like an instrument a drum set is. You just can't sit down and play the drums. I bet you could do it right now. Go ahead, sit down. You you no way you could do yeah, it. Yeah, sure. It's the same thing with two turntables and a mixer. There's no way you could do that. The hip hop was so diverse even in ninety one. You had Cypress Hill coming out. But then you had Naughty by Nature coming out doing something. Right. OPP was a hit. Yeah. Was, and that's still that kind of like that had, party. It's faster. It's hard to explain. I can't I mean, explain. I it was party music. Like, you down with OPP? Yeah. yeah. You know me? Well, he's yeah. great. He's great, though. Yeah. Tretch. Yeah. 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 Hip hop was happening in 91. Yo, MTV Raps was on every day. Big Daddy Kane was still around them days. That light stuff, like Tone Loke came out with an album that year, and I looked up how it performed. And it did terribly. Yeah, yeah compared to the done. one before that. Yeah, yeah he was right, done that, though. The Humpty Dance yeah, and all that, like, all that, like you say she's just a friend. That really light yeah, yeah. stuff is going mm. away because now NWA's here. Well, do you feel that? Okay, Cypress Hill though. Do you think they're like the quote Nirvana that make everything I, that look? Because we yeah. all listen to NWA, but what Cypress Hill did kind of made everything look stupid, and everything kind of went forward. Yeah, I, I agree with you. But I'm going to say something different. Go ahead. In 1991, Tupac's first song came out. There yep. you go. He's on my yep. list too. Brenda's got a baby. There you go. Now nothing was more nope. real okay. than that song. You're like, right. Like yeah, you know, Cypress Hill was doing a funky thing with their voices and everything like that. But here comes Tupac yep. talking about what really is going on in the right. street. He's talking about like social issues. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Right off the bat, and yeah. look what Tupac became. He was the yeah. punk rock. He's, yeah, you're he right. He was the punk rock. You're absolutely right. Some other bands that came out in 91, like De La Soul. De La Soul is Dead. The Source called that one of the that 100 best rap album. albums of uh, all time. We saw De La Soul. They opened up for Beastie Boys at one time. Mm, very cool. They were unbelievable. Gangstar, Step in the Arena. IGN.com called that the greatest hip-hop album of all time. I really like that album. Ice Cube, Death Certificate. That debuted at number two. That went platinum really fast. Ice-T, Original Gangster. Also considered one of the 100 greatest rap albums ever. Tupac we talked about. And then The Low End Theory by Tribe Called Quest. That album is like the go yeah. tribe is always been the, the best, between yeah. hip hop and jazz that's also the album that like Busta Rhymes is on and he yeah. launches so it's all yeah it's know. very it's very important you know right it's just really really cool 1991 man that like hip hop music takes off said mainstream country music takes off but you know you still had like all okay you had all this cool hip hop stuff going on but you still had MC Hammer on the on the charts. Hammer was out. Yeah. What, what song did MC Hammer have out? He was too legit to quit. Yeah. 
Okay, he was, he's he was on his hammer. way out. He wasn't MC yeah. Hammer anymore. He was Hammer. Yeah, he's on his go, yeah, too legit. He's on his way quit. out. Yeah, then. yeah. A couple other songs maybe before we run into some of the the albums. I'm just scanning through my list. So Anthrax and Public Enemy, dude. Man, let's I, talk about that. Yeah, that changed a lot of stuff for me. Just hearing that for the first time. I should have mentioned uh, Public Enemy's Apocalypse '91 on the list of hip hop albums because that is also one of my favorite hip. That's one of my favorite hip hop albums of all time. I'll play a little bit of Bring the Noise. So that was on originally a Public Enemy song, and then they make a reference to Anthrax in that song, and that led to them doing a, a recording together and it's awesome well even before that you'd see like guys from anthrax wearing public enemy shirts as they're doing giving concerts like you know so there was always like a connection let me play 30 seconds of the original bring the noise with just public enemy and i'll play the one with the anthrax you can hear the difference of how much has changed yeah, how low can you go death row what a brother know once again back is the incredible rhyme animal the uncannable thief public enemy number one five four six freeze and i got numb can i tell them that i really never had a gun but it's the wax that the terminator x button now they got me in the cell because my records they sell because a brother like me said well farrakhan's a prophet and i think you want to listen to what they can say to you what you want to do is follow for now how the people say make a miracle keep up the lyrical black is back all in we're gonna win check it out all right, so then here's Anthrax and Public Enemies. Well, you know what's pretty interesting about the recording of that with Anthrax? I read Scott Ian's book from Anthrax uh, last year. He said when he made that album, um, he got Chuck D's like okay to do it. So he was Chuck D's like, oh, I'll come down and record. He's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to split from the, the rapping. He's like, I'm going to take it from the original track and I'm going to tape it into the Anthrax version. Oh, really? That's so, how they recorded it? Yeah, that's Anthrax recorded around Chuck D's vocal no shit. on the original. That was that was groundbreaking. That was groundbreaking. Yeah, I mean that's like, like I couldn't th- I can't think of another song between Walk This Way and this. I think it, that's this a million is, times and, better. And this is this they, is kicking the door down. This is that. our generation of that. And it's better, it's heavier, it's more relevant. Anthrax put out the uh, Attack of the Killer Bees EP love 30 that years album. ago. Dude, I love that album. And I, I listen I was, to it all the time. I wanted to send it to you, last, you guys last night. So I was as I was out running, I was listening to Public Enemy. And then I was like, let me do- jump into Attack of the Killer Bees. Yeah. And some of those songs are just, they're funny. Oh, God. You know, like yeah. I'm, starting, the man, that, I'm the man's on there. Like, yeah. 91, I'm the man. I'm the man. 91. Right. I want some milk. Like, starting up a posse. They do, yeah. they do Parasite by Kiss. Yeah. It's and then awesome. there's, there's like the, that cheesy hair ballad at the end. It just yeah, ends like, yeah, yeah. she got hit by a truck. truck. Yeah. Just like, yeah like, out of the big four, I think they're my favorite because yeah. they, they, always love they them. just have fun yeah. with it. Yeah. And, and Scotty Ian is just a rocking guitar player. He is. He's one of the greatest rhythm guitar players. And I've always loved the, this, just the heavy bass lines that Anthrax yeah. has and all their stuff. I think that was the only one I still had on the list. 
you want to just kind of run down a couple songs and if you guys got a reaction to, to them? Yeah, you wanna... that sounds like fun. All right. Brian Adams, Everything I Can Do, I Do For You, we already talked about. Oh, here. David Lee Roth, A Little Ain't Enough. Dude, we've been watching that video all week. <laughs> Ugh, and and if you ever out there and you want to watch something over the top, you have to watch David Lee Roth's A Little Ain't Enough video. He's got midgets. In blackface and... Yeah, it's really weird. It's and really weird. That's kind of the beginning of the end for David Lee Roth. You guys yeah. were talking about this today, and I totally forgot about the David Lee Roth. I'm like, what are you talking about? And your guy's like, a little late enough. And I'm like, what was the video? And I instantly remembered it. Well, like you just said, like midgets. It was like play. banned by yeah. MTV after a couple plays. Was it really? And yeah. They we, were, it. we saw him on that tour. We did. Did I, he I, have I, midgets I, in blackface? Uh, Doug, would, Doug was. <laughs> I wasn't. <laughs> Well, that's the benefit you get from having the bigger dick. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, some other songs. Summertime by DJ Jazzy Jeff and Fresh Prince. Classic. That song will never die. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we can play 30 seconds of that. To, I mean, especially doing this show in Philadelphia. This is, yeah. This is like the last thing he was like musically good at. It's his biggest hit. This is a relevant song anyway. a bit of a break from a norm just a little something to break the monotony of all that hard um emf unbelievable 30 Great. years old big song it's something we were talking about a little bit before this we were playing this before as we were setting up and i mentioned something that 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 little hook in the background is andrew dice clay going what the fuck was that and mm. you guys were like really and i was like yeah you listen to it closely it's that's what he's saying and if you i had that album like the first pressing that was what the lyric said it was and they would play it on mtv yeah and nobody would yeah. know that's saying what the fuck yeah I hear. that's hilarious that's hilarious. Just a just a little. I never knew. I never caught on to that weird that a, nugget. That was a great song. Then it was Jesus Jones right love here, right it. now. That's love it, love it. And that like, like to me that just reminds me of, of the Berlin Wall coming. Down. Like yeah. Yeah, it was like very political. Well, they said that's the song that started out the nineties. Was that song? That's a it's a great point. Yeah, I I like that song. Like a CNN lot. even said that Blaze of Glory by John Bon Jovi. I think came out. That in was 91. a big soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Huge. Live Pain, Lives on the Riverside. Live is one of my favorite bands from the 90s. Yeah. I wound up seeing them over 20 times. Sorry to um, hear that. No, uh, I've I, I seen them with you. Yeah, we saw them the last... They did play a little, Copper. They're yeah. a weird band. Loved it. This was their first album. I love this I remember, song. I remember the first time I heard this. This is just... The bass player's great. Madonna, Justify My Love. Oh, uh, I love it. That song was actually produced by Lenny Kravitz. Really? Okay. So, uh, the video was was basically a porno. Right? Sure. It was like... Oh, yeah. Really dirty. Girlfriend by Matthew Sweet. Really? That was in 91? Really? Yeah. I yes. think... Yeah, we knew. Me, me yeah. and Ryan know this song. No? no. I love this song, no. too. Yeah, we had to play this song. But he's playing all the instruments himself. Is he? Yeah. 
MC Hammer, we talked about Natalie and Nat King Cole, Unforgivable. That was huge. Unforgettable. That was huge. It Remember was that? huge how they recorded that. Yeah, like the, the that duet. Was ground, the that duet, was groundbreaking. The duet of them together. I didn't realize that song was 30 years old. Yeah, that was groundbreaking how they recorded that. They got the masters and then she sang on top of it. It's pretty, yeah. It was, I mean, groundbreaking at the yeah. time. Oh, right? That was yeah. a huge oh, song, yeah. though. Yeah. That was big. It won Grammys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Peace Choir doing Give Peace a Chance. That sucked. It was Who's, terrible. Uh, it was awful. Is that awful. what they did? Lenny Kravitz and uh, Sean Duff, Lennon. Yeah. Duff was in it. So I, I, that I was wrote, bad. I wrote a list and I cut out all the people I didn't know. It was supposed to protest a Gulf War. Yeah, I remember it coming out. But it was yeah. Yoko, Adam Ant, Terrence Trent Darby, Flea, John Frusciante, Peter Gabriel, Bruce Hornsby, Lenny Kravitz, Cindy Lauper, Sean Lennon, Little Richard, LL Cool J, MC Hammer, Michael McDonald, Duff McKagan, Alana Miles, Randy Newman, Tom Petty, Iggy Pop, Bonnie Raitt, Run, Little Steven, Frank Zappa's kids, Amit, Dweezil, and Moon Unit. Dude, what? They go down to the rainbow and say, hey, we need people for <laughs> yeah. singing. It's, it's not But what they good. did, they recorded it, and then the next day, they recorded a video for it. They yeah. were trying to get it out. Like, let's end this war right now. Yeah. Well, they I were remember that. That was were, Yoko. They were trying to get it out before they dropped the first bomb. I, yeah. I totally remember yeah. going into... That was a big thing. Uh, this is before I worked at a music store. I remember going yeah. in, and it was like next to the cash register yeah like buy yeah. this yeah. yeah it was just an awful that was, it was um, it was a disgrace PM Dawn set adrift by Memory Bliss horrible that was the first PM Dawn was so- awesome it was the first no. hip hop song to be a number dude, one dude they hit. were a psychedelic peace band they were like yeah. a hippie band no, I hear you but no they had a good thing going on first yeah. hip hop song to this ever shit. first hip hop song to ever go num- <laughs> number one electric chair song <laughs> nah this is the shit dude this is a sample from uh, True by Spando Ballet. Never heard it. Sure you have. You danced. You went to an eighth grade dance. CYO dance. Yeah. Come on. PM Dawn was awesome. Is that? Oh, this is hard. This is bad 80s music. Winds of Change by Scorpions. Big song. That was a big song. That might have been the last big hair band song before the the takeover of grunge. I hate that song. You, well, you heard it a that, billion I hate times. That French singing. I, it's... They did that song in uh, German too. Uh, they're, they're a German, huge they're German. band. Yeah, they're, yeah. They're, they play they're, countries. Yeah, yeah. You be forty the way you do the things you do. I never even uh, heard I that know that song. song is. Wait, oh, sorry. You've heard this. You gotta smile so Maybe. Oh, I remember this song. But then they had that other song, the um, Falling in Love with You. Is that the same year? This was the other hit they had this year. Yeah. I kind of remember this. Ugly Kid Joe, Everything yes. About You. Yes. That was Ryan's tune. That was Uncle Tom's song. Cabin by Warren. That was Ryan's yes. tune also. And my personal favorite, Pop Goes the Weasel by Third Base. That sure. Was the video song. is amazing. <laughs> Doug where, was actually in that video. You yeah, know yeah. the video where yeah. Vanilla... He looked just like that motherfucker. You know the video <laughs> Vanilla Ice comes out and they beat him with a baseball bat? Yeah, yeah. Do you know who plays Vanilla Ice? Is it's it Henry, Henry Rollins? Henry Rollins. <laughs> I was going to say it was Henry so. Rollins. All right. I got a couple albums for you, too, okay. to turn 30. Uh, hey Stupid, Alice Cooper. Stupid. I've had it. I had it. Stupid. I love it. Tra- I love it. Trash. No, it wasn't on Trash. It was on the Oh, it was Hey Stupid. That's right. I bought Trash. No, the album, the album is called Hey Stupid. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Heart in Motion, Amy Grant. No. Uh, never yeah, heard I, of I, it. I, I, I lent somebody that album. I never got it back. <laughs> CMB by Color Me Bad. Uh, 
I love Color Me Bad. Infectious Grooves. You guys remember that? Yeah, they're awesome, awesome, dude. Mike Muir from uh, Suicidal Tendencies, his side project. Yeah. Oh, what's his name? Rob. Yeah, Rob's in the in that band. Yeah, uh, it, they're not on Spotify. Their their first album really? not on Spotify. It was it was great. Let me see if it's on like YouTube or something because I th- I feel like we should play a little bit of it because it was so they were funky man. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. They had some great musicians backing them up. It was like the guys from Suicidal and the drummer from Jane's Addiction. <laughs> I kind of remember the song. You were really into them. I remember you. I think really I still have the CD. Yeah. I remember Ryan really being into them. And it's cool because it's suicidal tendencies. Like this is their yeah yeah with Jane's addiction. Yeah, Metal Jewelry by Live. Mama said, God, Lenny Kravitz. Great. Love that whole album is great. Emotions by Mariah Carey. We didn't talk about it. That I was, don't even know what I that mean, is. That, that's where she just it's started. Huge. It was so where she like, sings was, super high. It was yeah. It's every album. Yeah, yeah. it's like her she, second album. It, she, she was, was so huge hit. Huge hit. I think that was actually the best-selling album of the year in '91. I wouldn't doubt it. Blue Lines by Massive Attack. I I really like Massive Attack. That that kind of trippy. I don't even know who they are. Jazzy kind of. They're like a trip hop band. If like, you see a lot of music nerds, will say they're look, they're on there. Uh, Mr. Bungle. Yes. yes. Mr. Bungle yes. was a side project from Mike Patton from Facebook. Who else was in that band? Somebody else big was in that band, too. Mike McCree or somebody? Scott Ian was in that band. Yeah. Oh, was he really? Yeah. I think they're coming out with another album. Mike Patton's the man, dude. Hole, Pretty on the Inside, their debut album. That was a big album. That was a big, big yeah. album. I, I don't like them very much. Yeah. Nobody really does. Uh, Prince, Diamond and Pearls. Yeah. Rod Stewart, Vagabond Heart. That's a bad album. But is, that had, the, is that the song, like, that jukebox song? like Motown yeah. with the Temptations. Yeah. That was a yeah. big song, though. Seal's first album came out. Crazy. Yeah. Uh, that was a great yeah. song. Gish by Smashing Pumpkins. Had a couple of Inocrous yeah, was on that. We didn't a get, of, really get into the Smash Club. That was a big album. Pocket Full of Kryptonite by the Spin Doctors. Worst band of the 90s, hands down. They are, they're my electric chair. If I, my next one, next one is my turn. And my favorite, one of my favorite bands from the 90s, uh, Fear from Toad the Wet Sprocket. Now that's out. a great band. I just, they're, they're a great band. Nondescript middle yep. of the road college yep. 90s rock band. I, they're just one of my yes, favorites. Me too. Me too. I haven't listened to them in a very long time, yeah. but I really enjoyed their music at that at in the 90s. All right. So that, that was just kind of the rundown of the list, man. I think that's everything that we covered. So. You want to move on to the wrap-up and, and get the hell out of here? You want, yeah, let's you want, wrap You want to do a lecture chair first, or you want to do listener feedback first? Let's do listener feedback. All right, so listener feedback. We got an email from Donna from somewhere in New Jersey and just said, Hey, guys, I really enjoy your show. I listen to it while I'm at work and like how you cover a bunch of different topics. 
I'm curious. I don't think you've ever said this. Who is your favorite band? Thanks. Well, thanks for that message, Donna. Uh, what time is it? Like, what day is it? I don't, I, yeah, I, right. I don't even know how to, to answer that. It's a great question. Fish, hands down. Yeah, Fish, the Grateful Dead. Fish. Okay. Yeah. Springsteen. All right. Well, thanks, Donna, for the feedback. So well, let's move on to the electric chair. Ooh. So that is a segment where we pick one song and we sentence it to death. Ryan, I believe this week it is your choice. It is my pleasure to pick Maroon 5, Moves Like Jagger. Ugh. I hate this dude so much. What's He's his a name? fish fan, too. What's his name? The singer. Is it Adam Lambert? No, no, no that's a guy from Queen. Adam Levine. Adam Levine. Yeah, and he's a fish fan, right? I don't care. He's... Nah, that's it. Kill it. Kill it. Never get tired of it. It's so funny. <laughs> you, uh, when that song was out, I took a ride down South Carolina to go see Anne's her family down. So I have my niece Nicolette with us, and she's she was probably about sixteen at the time. And that song came on. She's in the back seat singing it. I turn around. I'm like, "Do you know who this song's about?" And she's like, "No." And I'm like, "She's like, give me a hint. What's the name? Like, give me. I'll give you the first name of the the, the band." And so I'm like, the, and she's like, I'm like the Rolling Stones. She's like, oh, I've heard of them. Uh, yeah, I know. Isn't Mick Jagger in the video for that song? No, too? I don't think he is. Uh, no? Okay. I don't know. I'm sure anything. he got paid for it, though. I don't know anything about anything about that song, but I know it was going to the electric chair. I'll have to, I'll have to do some more research. So, no. All right, cool. So let's wrap up and get out of here. Uh, again, thanks to everyone who's been out there listening to us. We love you guys. Special shout out, Mike Cianci, for helping us with all the playlists to go with every episode, as well as to Rob Owens helping spread the word week in, week out about our show. You can check us out at prisonersofrockandroll.com or any place where you listen to your favorite podcast. Get in touch with us. We love getting feedback and getting you guys into the conversation. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter at Prisoners of Rock. Lastly, you can email us at prisonersofrockandroll at gmail.com. We publish playlists to go with every episode. You can find them on Spotify and Apple Music. We'll share links to them in the show notes and on our social media accounts. We made two playlists this week. We did one of the great music from 1991, and then we made one just for historical purposes of all the really crappy music that came fun. out in 1991. I had a good time making these playlists. This was fun, man, going back into that time machine and sure. just really living all this stuff and hearing how much music yeah. changed. Got a lot of flashbacks. I yeah. watched a lot of 91 videos and this year in rock, and I would never, ever, ever want to go back to the, <laughs> the The fashion alone, I wouldn't want to go I back. I would never want to go back flannels. in time and live that life again. All right, everybody. So we'll be back in two weeks. We're going to circle up and figure out what we're going to do next. Keep on rocking. Peace out. <laughs>